Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Hello Grace Life and welcome to 2024. Shane Holsgrove here, a central elder, representing the central eldership team. And uh, I wanted to just, uh, first of all, start off by wishing you a happy new year. I know it's February and we started the year, but, um, you know, as a ministry, we usually take um, a Sunday around this time of the year, just for me as the lead pastor, just to send you guys a message uh, to also just tell you a bit about um, the year ahead, what we feel on our hearts as central leadership. So, you know, we kicked off the year as central elders, myself. Um, um, you know, Marna and I, and then Chart, and um, um, from Piketburg, um, uh, Etienne uh, from Tigerburg, and Peter from uh, Stellenbosch, we got together, and we were just praying together, and, and, um, and just seeing like what is on God's heart for us as a ministry, as a, as a family of churches for the year ahead. And, you know, after that, we spent two evenings together with all the campus pastors, um, Online, we had uh, Albania with us. We had Blankenberger from Belgium with us uh, for the first time, which was exciting. And we had Sol- Solaris Pass with us as well. And we were all just um, then just sharing with them about uh, the, the year ahead and praying together as well. And, and now this is our opportunity to share some of those things with you. And, you know, we're not necessarily sharing specific plans um, and, and that nothing really is changing. We're doing what we know always to do. But the theme that we felt the Lord give us for this year is build the house. Build the house. And so I just wanted to take a moment to share with you about how we want to build the house together with you. And we want to invite you to build the house with us. So what do we mean by the house? Firstly, we're going we're gonna to look at that uh, within a couple of verses together. So, you know, I think when I say build the house... I was uh, thinking about this when I was preparing, and I realized a lot of different ideas would come up uh, for different people. One of the first ideas that would, might come up for you is from uh, Psalm 127, verse 1, which says, Except the Lord build the house, they that labor in vain build it. Now, um, another verse, before I, I comment on that, that comes up for a lot of people is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says to Peter, uh, uh, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I remember years back, we, I was in a leadership meeting, and uh, I was asking the question of how can we build the church this year? And, you know, that's something that we as leaders often ask ourselves is how can we reach more people? How can we uh, disciple pe- more people? And how can we build the family, the church more? So we were looking at how can we build the church? And, you know, someone piped up and said, you know, except the Lord build the house, the, the, they that labor, labor in vain. And they also said, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church. I think we need to get out of the way and allow Jesus to build his church. And the sentiment that that carries is we must just come and Jesus will do the rest. And I want to start off this year by um, encouraging you, if you have that view, you need to change that view. Because that's an incorrect view of how Jesus wants to build what we are doing here. 
okay, what God is doing through us as grace life. You know, we're, we're called to uh, uh, take the, the message of the gospel around the world. And part of our aim, our vision, our desire is to help people discover the reality of Christianity. That it's not just a religion. It's not just a, a way of life. It's not just a this or a that, but it's life. And it's something that he wants for all of us to experience. <clears throat> but part of that is building a family, building a local family, which will help to accomplish that. So, you know, if we, if we look at um, <clears throat> the, the, when Jesus said, um, upon this rock I will build my church. He's not saying that upon Peter he's going to build the, the, the church, but he's saying upon this revelation that Peter had. What was the revelation? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail with uh, explaining those verses to you. But I want to show you where Jesus built the church. Okay, that first verse in Psalm says, except the Lord build the house. Now, what is the house? What is the house of God? Think about it for a moment. John chapter 14 shows us um, that, um, well, let, let me look at it. It's, uh, it's important. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. A lot of people get out of that, that there's a mansion waiting for me in heaven. And I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but I'm going to say that one day you'll be disappointed if you're looking for your mansion. Okay? If you look at John 14, verse 2, and what Jesus is saying, He's saying, in my Father's house are many mansions. You can't find a, a house with mansions in it. So the, this verse is symbol, symbolic. It's talking of something. And he's saying, in my Father's house, in the body of Christ, in my Father's house, in the family of God, in the church, are many mansions. The mansions are the dwelling place of God. So in the family of God, the local, in, in the church, there are dwelling places for God. You and I are the mansions. You and I are the dwelling places of God. So, you know, in the Greek, the, the word mansions gives the idea of a permanent dwelling place. And we know that he doesn't live in buildings made of stone, but he lives in us. So this is what we need to see, is that except the, the Lord build the house, Okay, how did the Lord build his house? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of uh, Jesus, which allowed for the Holy Spirit to come and indwell believers. So now because of the, we are the dwelling place of God, we are the house together of God. So this is saying, except the Lord build the house, the, they that labor, labor in vain. So that's saying that if you're laboring, if you're striving to become a dwelling place of God, to attract the presence of God and to be where the presence of God is at, it's going to come to nothing because that's not how God works. You're laboring in vain if you're trying to get the presence of God to come and for the presence of God to be. The Lord had to prepare or build the house for the Spirit of God to be there. How did he do that? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God has made a way for his spirit to come and dwell in us. And now believers are the dwelling place, the mansions of God. Together we are his house, the church. So he has built the house. 
Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. If you look at that other verse um, in Matthew where it says, um, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Think about that phrase for a moment. Jesus is speaking before his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What is he saying? He's not saying, hey guys, I'm going to get some bricks and I'm going to build the church. He's not saying, I'm going to build the church, a building. We know that he's talking about a people, a community, a family. Okay? But do you know what this verse is saying is really that he's not He's not really building the church today like that. He is in a way and he isn't. Not the way that we think. We think just become part of the church, sit back and let God bring people. Let God grow people. Do you know that God is not the one who brings people? You are the one that brings people. You help to build the house by bringing people. Okay, that's the first, and I, I think that's important in that statement for you to see. The other thing I want to show you there is that, okay, so you, God is not the one who brings people, we are, but also, yes, God is involved in growing people, but God is not the one who grows people, we are. If we want to look at what spiritual growth is and how spiritual growth happens, we have to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 11 onwards, which says that he gave leadership giftings in the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to grow them for ministry so that they would grow to become mature, so that they would grow so that they're no longer children tossed to and fro. So leadership in the local church, leadership's responsibility is to grow you. God won't grow you. He's given that responsibility to the leaders in the church. And then we all mature to the place where we help other people grow. Okay? So... When Jesus is saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he's talking before the resurrection, before uh, 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 the birth of the church at Pentecost. And what he's saying is, uh, is that he was prophesying about that time when he would build his church. So he's given birth to the church at Pentecost. The church exists. He's built his church. And now he continues to build the church like this. Okay, 1 Peter 2 verse 5. Ye also are lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. So it's not a physical house, it's a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we are um, living stones, lively stones. So how do we build the church when people receive Christ and they become born again, they become a living stone and our part in helping those people to become saved is helping to build the church. Then, you know, um, uh, we, we, we know the verse well in uh, Grace Life um, you know, uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, this is good and acceptable in the eyes of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved. So God's will is all men to be saved, all men to become living stones. And to come to a knowledge of the truth, to become mature in Christ. So our part in helping to build the house is that we would be reaching out to people, the lost, helping them to receive Christ. Then they become living stones and then we help them mature as believers, help them come to a, 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 a revelation of the knowledge of truth. Now, 
how do we do that second part? Okay, we do that second part, helping them come to a knowledge of the truth. We help them do that by becoming part of the house, part of the family. The, and for us, obviously, the, the church is, in, is made up worldwide of every true believer in Christ. And right now, Grace Life is part of the worldwide church. So if you're a believer and you're part of us, you're not just part of Grace Life. You're part of the worldwide church of God, which includes people even sometimes in the Catholic church. There's some born-again Catholics, Catholics who don't uh, just go through rituals, but actually have believed on Jesus for this, their salvation. And so we're part of the worldwide church, but we build the worldwide church by building the local church. The local church is a family. And so I want to encourage you this year and invite you to focus on helping us build the family. It's not just building the house, although that's what we're saying, but it's building the family. Okay, so, you know, when we say we're building the house or building the family, what we're talking about is, number one, we might need buildings. We need buildings, okay? You know, at all of our campuses, really, amen, we need buildings. Uh, we need good buildings, but we're not sure about buildings. We can operate in a shed, <laughs> amen? We can operate in a rented venue. We can operate under a tree if the weather helps us. But the point is, it's, it, it, buildings are important, but that's not our aim and main focus. The aim is kingdom. And this kingdom is an unseen kingdom. This kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And so by building the house, we are first and foremost talking about investing into people. I want to invite you to consider, how can you invest into people this year? What do we mean by investing into people? Helping them get saved. Give to missions giving to your local church. Maybe a good New Year's resolution for some is uh, how can I aim to increase my giving to the kingdom? So we invest into people through evangelism, through giving to our local church so they can continue. But we also uh, invest into people through discipleship, helping them come to a knowledge of the truth. We do that by giving into the local church, which disciples me and disciples you and disciples each other. Um, but it's also by actually being a disciple. And we need to unpack that and see what that is. So we need to invest into people. Um, another way we invest into people is, so we invest into people through evangelism. We invest into people through discipleship. Ephesians 1.15 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto the saints, your love unto all the saints. Other verses say the same thing. And what blesses me with that is it's showing firstly that faith can be seen. There's a good question to challenge yourself with this year. Can my faith be seen? Second question to challenge yourself with this year is it, it says that love can be seen. So he's heard or seen about the love towards all the saints. Is your love for the saints heard about? Do people talk about your love for believers, for the church, for the people in grace life, your brothers and sisters in Christ? So we need to consider these things. How am I loving those in the family? We're called to love the family before we're called to love anyone outside the family. So we are inviting you to help us by investing into people. 
Financially, yes. Of your time, yes. Of yourself, yes. Of your treasures, your, your abilities, your talents, yes. We're inviting you to build community. How do we build community? You need to ask yourself, how can I help to build community this year? You can build community through a life group. You can build community by reaching out to other people, asking them to go for, for Sunday lunch with you. I challenge you to ask someone to do that that you haven't done it with before. You, you, we, we help to build community by loving and caring for one another. If someone's in need, by supporting them. Okay, There's different ways that we help to build community, build relationship. The community gathers around the Word. We gather around the Word so that we can grow. We grow together as a family for the purpose, and growing is discipleship, but we grow for the purpose of going into all the world to reach people and make disciples. Now, we, we, we gather to grow. That's talking about discipleship. So I want to challenge you with the thought of, number one, how can I help build the community? Number two, how can I help, how can I personally grow as a disciple this year? Ministry school. There's a great way to grow. If you've done ministry school, the Leadership Academy, that's a great way to grow. You can grow through uh, uh, um, going to a Bible study. You can go, grow in many different ways, okay? But grow as a disciple. And then also ask yourself, who can I help to grow as a disciple this year? Maybe lead a life group. Reach out to a, an unbeliever. Reach out to a baby believer. Help them grow in the knowledge of the truth. This year, we're also going to have tools for you to help you disciple others. We're busy working on that. And um, your campus pastor will tell you more about that. I'll tell you a little bit more in a, in a sec. But ask yourself, how can I be part of discipleship more this year? And then, you know, so we gather around the Word, and we gather together around the Word, which is community, in order to grow, which is discipleship, in order to go, which is mission. Go into all the world. Go into your world in order to live out our purpose as believers. Okay, and there's many ways that you can do that. There's many opportunities at your campus and in the ministry to do that. Now, I challenge you to step into more of what God's called you to in this year. So today, another thing I wanted to just uh, highlight is we are celebrating with many students. Um, I actually should have looked at how many, but we were celebrating with the graduates of Grace Life Ministry School 2023. So, you know, at your campus, if there were any graduates, anyone who did Grace Life Ministry School last year, your campus pastor is going to call them forward. We're going to celebrate them. We're going to give them a certificate. Um, and um, I trust that it stirs you up to consider doing ministry school this year because there'll be an opportunity for you to do it. And remember, for Grace Life, it's free because we want to equip you. It's a service that we have to our family. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to consider how am I investing into people? How am I building community? And how am I part of disciple making? You're blessed. Have a wonderful service. And I trust, or we can, we can trust together, 2024 is going to be a year of more of what God has for us. Yeah, I'm uh, super excited. Just, um, just with, obviously with regards to what Shane shared, and uh, I'll get into that a little bit more. But just asking again, and um, who, who of you were blessed by the understanding again, the, the mindset of the, the, the phrase of um, building the house? Unless the Lord builds the house, which we looked at a little bit last week in the, in the message, and then Peter's, um, or Jesus' response to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Just that understanding of, again, what does that mean? God isn't into tangibles. 
we are very much into tangibles. Can I get an amen? Like, uh, like nice food and uh, uh, nice clothing. We, we like comfort. Like if we're all going to be honest with ourselves. We like comfort. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. God created us like that. But we need to uh, keep the main things the main things. We need to uh, prioritize and have a proper value of what is ultimately more important. And for God, uh, the, most important things, the most important things is people's salvation, people's souls. And that is what building the house of God is about. And I think the invitation or the challenge as well uh, that we often have a misconception about is that what Shane mentioned. Um, we often think that the pastor up front, I'm going to um, give money towards uh, his salary and then he's going to build the church. Um, that is so, uh, co- contrary to the Bible and what the Bible teaches. Um, each one of us are disciples, myself included, so I'm part of building this church, I'm part of it, but uh, as is each one of you, you are a builder of this church. And so if you want to see this campus specifically grow and the body of Christ grow, you have to ask yourself the question, what are you doing about it? Um, are you hoping, wishing, and praying for the church to grow? Are you actually uh, partaking and doing something about it? Uh, Simeon, for example, is a great example this morning. He's helping to build the church by inviting someone and bringing someone to the church. Um, so that's good. Norman up front is also a great example. Uh, he brought Anya now, and she's been coming back for a number of uh, months now already. So all of us are partakers, and you have to ask yourself the question of what is, what is holding you back from inviting someone to church, inviting someone to a Bible study? What is holding you back from uh, sharing with uh, a neighbor or sharing with a colleague or sharing with a friend that you know is either an unbeliever or maybe someone that is a believer, but they're not part of community? And so what happens when you're not part of community? You don't grow. Because God orchestrated in such a way that we grow together. Because there's accountability. There's provoking, that nudging in the shoulder when someone is uh, kind of uh, holding back or they... They are um, kind of holding on to things that they shouldn't be holding on to. Sometimes we need someone to uh, just remind us again of what is important. Um, some of us have got blind spots. Anyone here got blind spots? Anyone know what a blind spot is? It's uh, when you're running a, in a specific direction, you think, man, um, he- the heavens are opening when you're walking into the room, and uh, you think like uh, you are uh, in step with the Spirit every step of the way, and in every relationship it is a... Uh, um, people are singing your praises. You should be actually worried when everyone's singing your praises. That's what the Bible says. You should be uh, wa- uh, wondering and uh, being, being cautious when everyone is praising you because all of those praises aren't always sincere. Um, and uh, sometimes you are walking in such a way that you are actually just walking like the world and uh, you are, you're not getting praise from God. You're getting praise from man maybe and we shouldn't live for the praise of man, the Bible teaches us. And so all of those things are things to consider, but what a blessing to know that each one of us has been chosen by God to be part of His house, and each one of us are an actual mansion of God. You are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God Almighty. So He needs some mansions to live in, right? God Almighty, Creator of the universe, He needs some mansions to live in, and each one of us are considered a mansion, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And uh, something that I just wanted to uh, remind us of uh, this morning, specifically what I felt in my heart to just uh, focus in on a little bit, is like uh, people often move around in uh, different locations. And the amazing thing with God's Spirit and uh, us becoming a dwelling place of God, we become His permanent dwelling place. Oftentimes people don't have, a, have assurance of that, and so they, they sometimes feel, um, feel distant from God or feel disconnected from God because um, I didn't have such a good week, or I didn't have such a good morning, so 
God's probably went on holiday to just uh, give me some time to sort myself out and kind of clean up the house a little bit, and then he'll come back again after months or so uh, after me repenting and doing all of my spiritual house cleanings and things. Um, <laughs> that is not the nature and the character of God. That is not what the Bible teaches us. And so uh, let's just look at um, the topic of faithfulness and uh, talking about God's faithfulness. And it's often talked about in Scripture. I just want to look at a few verses. And so I uh, just want to labor in this, this idea of we've become a permanent dwelling place. You and I, if you receive Christ, have become a permanent mansion where God's Spirit resides. Isaiah 25 verse 1 says, O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I'll praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Your plans formed of old are faithfulness and truth. Psalm 117 verse 2. For His merciful kindness is great towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Say it forever with me. So His faithfulness endures forever. Even when we are unfaithful at times, His faithfulness endures forever. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us firmly hold the profession of our faith without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. So God is faithful. His faithfulness endures forever. Now for a moment of honesty, has anyone ever uh, or anyone here ever felt like God wasn't faithful to keeping to His word? Anyone ever felt like gone through something where you're like, I've read this, but man, I haven't experienced this. So obviously, if I've read this and I haven't experienced this, then God must be lying about something or... or uh, um, some of us might have experienced, well, if this is what the Word says and this is not my experience, then God is also, obviously also withholding from me. Like because uh, I can't handle it or He's withholding from me because I haven't uh, been to church in a while or He's withholding from me because I haven't opened up my Bible in a while. All of those various things that we consider because we often look at our relationship with God and His, His, uh, His promises to us on the platform of conditions, terms and conditions. If I do this, then God will do this. If I don't do this, then God will not do this. And that's often why our relationships are so poor because we're living in a tit-for-tat world. I will love this person as long as they do X, Y, and Z for me. That is not the love of God. That is not the mercies of God because none of us did anything for Jesus when He came to die for you and me. Just on a very practical front, none of us were alive, so we couldn't do anything for Jesus to have Him come to die for us. And so that is the love of God demonstrated towards us. That is the faithfulness of God demonstrated to us. And guess what? Where is God living right now? You and me. For we have become the mansions of God, the dwelling place of God within the house of God. And so whenever, or if you've ever felt like that, and maybe some of you felt like this in, in the past week where you feel like um, this hasn't come to pass in my life, so God obviously has favorites, especially those in full-time ministry, all of the pastors and the, the holy of holy saints. Um, and all of that is just rubbish and lies from the pit of hell and oftentimes just lies because of what we've been exposed to in unhealthy church cultures. And uh, I'm not saying grace life is perfect, but there's a lot of things that we really have uh, that is good. One of that being, we don't have a man of God complex. We don't build man of God complexes in this. We have a culture of honor, and please uh, show honor where honor is due, because that's what the Bible teaches. But don't idolize. Don't make gods 
of men and women who have been called and invited into fulfilling specific functions. Like Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about the pastors, the teachers, the apostles. Like honor those and receive from them and allow them to shepherd you and teach you, but don't idolize them. Don't make gods of them. Don't think that, and this is another challenging uh, thought. Let me ask the question and uh, don't answer out loud. Think for yourself in your mind. What is the greatest function? What is the greatest and if I, if I say function, I mean title. Pastor, teacher, uh, evangelist, apostle, prophet, to name a few. What is the greatest function or title that you can achieve within the body of Christ, within the family of God? What is the greatest? Like, What is the, the be-all and the end-all within the body of Christ that, that God has called you to? No, don't know outside loud. The greatest that God has called you to is what He's called you to. Oftentimes we want to become things that God has called other people to. Or we want to become things because of a specific mindset we have about a specific function or a specific title. Because we are carnal. We often think carnally about those things. But the greatest function that you can step into is that which God has called and prepared you for. And you becoming content in that. You becoming an owner of that, becoming satisfied with that, and doing it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Amen. Because Paul talks about this in Corinthians, he says there's many different body parts. All of us have got the same purpose, to keep the body alive. Amen. And so you've got a purpose to help build the body of Christ, to help build the house of God, and to keep it healthy. Are you doing your part? Or are you being divisive? Are you doing things that are helping to keep the body, the house of God that you are called to locally at Tiger, but are you helping to keep it healthy? Or do you enjoy gossip? Are you open to gossip? Or do you tell someone, hey, have you spoken to so-and-so about this? Have you prayed about this? Have you brought this to God? Are you facilitating an environment that is an environment festering bitterness, offense, gossip. None of that is healthy for your body. It's like cutting yourself open and not treating the wound. We need to treat the wounds. And so on that note, a good word is? Some of you are at least uh, believers of that. A good word is a challenging word. The word is clear about these things. Let's not be open to gossip. There's clear instruction about how to deal with the offense. Go to the offender. Talk to them about it. Don't point finger. Address the matter in a mature way. And if you're not mature enough to deal with it, take a mature believer with you to help just be a mediator to the situation. We are the body of Christ together. We are called the house of God. Many mansions within the house. And we are either helping build the house or we are tearing the house down. You determine that, not me. Titus 2 verse 11 says, and so we're talking about the faithfulness of God. That was just a side note uh, that I didn't prepare, but God obviously wanted someone to hear that. So a good follow-up question in light of God's faithfulness is this. What is most valuable to God? What is most valuable to God? You might think that what is most valuable to God is for you to get that promotion at work. 
You might think that what is most valuable to God is that you get that dream home that's on your bucket list and you've printed a photo of that as well and it's on your wall and you're naming and claiming it daily. And you, th- you might think that that's the most valuable thing to God. But a simple kind of wrecking of that dream for you is Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay for yourselves up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You're not going to take that house to heaven, guys. However beautiful it might be, it's not going to heaven with you. Okay, so now I've wrecked some of your dreams maybe because you've got that beautiful house that you think that it's so valuable to God that He's going to make that come to pass for you. What is God's greatest desire? Because His faithfulness will be tied to whatever your answer is to these things. His faithfulness is tied to what is most valuable to Him and what His greater desire is. Titus 2 verse 11. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, Jesus, bringing salvation to everyone. What did Jesus bring? Salvation. Now some, of, uh, some people take the word salvation and they go look it up in the Greek. And the Greek word for salvation is sozo, soteria. And soteria uh, means a whole bunch of different things. In some cases you find the word uh, salvation um, or the root, the root Greek word salvation, sozo, you might find it in a place where the woman of the issue of blood was healed, physically healed. So you find sozo there, soteria there, the root word. And so then you find it in other places where it's talking about wholeness. And then you find it in places where it's talking about uh, prosperity. And so then when we, when we look at what Jesus did in line with salvation, we kind of just say like, yeah, so Jesus came to die for me to uh, be physically out. Jesus came to die for me to have a mansion or uh, have prosperity. Jesus became poor for me so I can become rich. We're not going to debunk all of that this morning. But salvation in accordance with what Jesus came to do is clearly explained to us in John chapter, 5, uh, John chapter 5, where Jesus goes to the Scriptures, in Luke chapter 24, He goes to the Scriptures, and He expounds unto them the meaning of the Scriptures, and says that these all point to Me. My death, my burial, my resurrection, and the Spirit of God coming to live inside of you. You don't need money to have God's Spirit live inside of you. You don't need health for God's Spirit to come live inside of you. If the world can give it to you, then that is not what Jesus came to die for. Can the world give you money? It's not a trick question. Yes, the world can give you money. Ask Elon Musk. Ask Bill Gates. They've got a lot of money. So if the world can give it to you, then obviously what God Almighty intended through Jesus is something completely different. And that's a challenging thought for some because some of you think that Jesus came to die for you so that you can have mansions and have a lot of money. And that's why some of you are living dissatisfied Christian lives. Because you're living for something and holding on to something that Jesus did not come to die for. Jesus brought salvation for everyone. It's for everyone to enjoy. But not everyone is even enjoying the simplicity of salvation because of bad doctrine within the body of Christ and then because people haven't responded yet to Christ and receiving the gift of life. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise. Singular, right? Not promises. For the Lord is not slow concerning His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, 
not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So what is God's desire? According to 2 Peter 3, 9, not for any to perish, not for any to go into destruction, but for all to come to repentance. That word repentance is not what we often think it is to be changing our actions. No, changing our actions is a result of true repentance. True repentance is a change of your belief. A change of what you believe about who God is and what He's made you to be. Because if you come to believe that, and Mark records this for us and says that repent and believe the gospel. So it's linking repentance to believing the gospel. Because repentance without believing the gospel is only short-lived or, or, or manufactured artificially. We see a lot of Christians that manufacture artificially the right fruit. And so they, they live in a specific standard, at least before our other brothers and sisters, right, where people can see you. We've often seen this or heard, heard stories about people within more traditional churches where they've got all of these uh, uh, people up front, the elders and the deacons in church, and they uh, uh, read the Bible and they do these prayers and their voices changes all of a sudden and they all of a sudden have a more... Uh, more. I know we all have examples of that. And then uh, you find out about these same men and women that behind doors, like they're living completely different lives. Why? Because you can only fake it in certain settings. You can only fake it for so long until what is on the inside of you comes to the surface. So repentance is not a change of action. Repentance is a change of heart. Because God is after your heart, God is after my heart. Because if He has my heart, He'll have my life. Stop trying to give more to God. Allow Him to give more to you. Open up your heart. Open up your hands to His love, to His goodness, to His mercies. And you'll have a life that is evident of repentance. A changed mind. God wants all to come to believe that He is good. That He is a good Father. And that He is the giver of good things. And so He is faithful to that. To that promise that He's uh, given us through Jesus. Last uh, verse on this, uh, on this faithfulness and what God is faithful to and what it's tied to. First Peter, Shane mentioned it, I've already mentioned. First Timothy 2, 3-4. This is right and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires. Say desires. So God desires this, right? What do you do if you desire something and it's not a horrible sin? For example, you desire a good cup of coffee. What do you do if you have that desire? You make that good cup of coffee. And if you can't make it at home, you'll go on outing and you'll go get yourself that good cup of coffee, right? Let's make it more uh, practical. It's very simple and all of us can apply this. If you are thirsty and you desire water, what do you do about that desire? You get up and go get yourself a glass of water and you quench your thirst. Now consider this. God Almighty, creator of the universe, who formed you in your mother's womb, if He desires something, what is He going to do about it? Wow, some of you aren't uh, connecting the dots. He'll bring the desire to completion. He'll make a way for that desire to come to, to pass. Right? So what does He desire? He desires for everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How has He made this a reality or possibility? Through Jesus. 
through Jesus. God desires for everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So now we understand what God is keeping himself faithful to. It is linked to his desire, to his will, to his plan. And further on, it says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Who sanctifies you? God sanctifies you. You can't sanctify yourself. Entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. Who keeps you? Do you keep yourself until the day of Christ? No, you didn't call yourself. God's called you. He will keep you. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord Yahweh is always faithful. When is He faithful? Always. To the place, uh, to place you on a firm foundation and guard you from the evil one. So who guards you from the evil one? Not the pastor. Not your prayers. Not your good works. God Almighty guards you. When you've put your faith and your trust in Him, He will keep you. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. God's faithfulness was perfectly demonstrated through Jesus. Now to all who believe, all of us, we have surety and confidence that God will keep us to the end. And that even in death, we live. And this is obviously a a verse and a truth that I had to really come to grips with. And it's been an amazing comfort since losing my brother. John chapter 11 verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. That is the faithfulness of God. Even in troubling times, even in difficult times, He is faithful to what? One thing, salvation. Oneness with God. Oneness with Him and His Spirit. So God has done His part, and in light of us building the house, Shane asks this question, whose responsibility is it to bring people into the family of God? Whose responsibility is it to build the house of God? Everyone said, my responsibility. Not Etienne, but you yourself. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca